want you to think in your lives that moment where perhaps above any other moment you were really, really thirsty. When was the moment where if you'd have had a bottle like this, you'd have given anything for a glass of water? Thinking about it myself, it was probably for me when I was uh, in Uganda. I'd gone away for a weekend, climbed up a mountain, listened to the FA Cup final on my shortwave radio. And then I came back down the mountain. Oh, thank you. Came back down. And I, uh, I'd left my bicycle at the, uh, at the Catholic hospital that was just there. Decided I needed to cycle back the 20 miles back to where uh, campsite was, uh, where we were living. The bicycle only had one pedal, and it wasn't really a pedal, it was just a bar on one side. The other side it had fallen off. And so the only way you could cycle was to kind of push down on that one side and then flick it back up again and push down. So it was quite slow and tiring work. I had all my, my tent and everything that I'd on, on the backpack, like I had a big rucksack and the tent and everything was loaded up on the back. And so it was hard going. And not only that, it wasn't really a road at all. It was a dried up riverbed. So it got kind of sandy in places. And if you've ever tried to ride a bicycle in the sand, it's not a good idea. It's quite hard work. But I was young. I was fit. And so it was time to cycle back. The only problem was that I'd taken up everything I needed for the weekend up on the top of this mountain. And I'd been there, had a great time. And when I came back, I was so eager to get back home that I didn't bother to wait around and fill up my water bottle. So I had a water bottle like this one, but there was only a tiny bit left in the bottom because I'd drunk all the rest over the weekend. But I said, no, let me just get going. Middle of the day it was. The hottest part of the day. They have siestas in Uganda during from 1 till 3 in the afternoon because it is so hot that you can't really, nobody goes outside then. Nobody does any work. I went out once in the, uh, during the afternoon. This is to explain how hot it was. To finish off a little bit of work that I was doing, a bit of building work. And uh, I didn't bother putting my shirt on because it was so hot. In half an hour I had second degree burns all over my back. I, my back blistered like a waterbed. I spent a week lying on my front, not being able to move. That's how hot the sun gets in, in Uganda. And here I am, cycling back with no water. Well, pretty soon, I'm dying of thirst. And I'm there, kicking my one pedal round and flicking it back up and kicking it back down and flicking it back up, going along this sandy riverbed back the 20 miles. I'd stopped looking around by then because I was sweating buckets, I was dehydrated and the little bit of water I decided I needed to ration it so I was just having the odd little sip as I was going along. And I started just to stare at the front wheel of the bicycle. I just had my head down staring at that front tyre just saying, why didn't I bother to fill it up with water? I'm going to die out here. And it was then that I nearly ran over a cobra 
which darted its head up and went for my leg, but that's a different story. You know what happens when you get dehydrated, when you really, really, really need water? Have you ever been in that situation? Not that I'm just thirsty, fancy a cup of tea, kind of thirst, but when you're really gasping for water, when I finally got back to the campsite, got back to my home, the first thing I did was I just stuck my head in a barrel of water and just started drinking as much as I could. I was so dehydrated, I was so, my head was spinning, it was throbbing, I was just in a mess and I needed to go and lie down. They say you can only last three to five days without water. And what happens is when you stop having water to drink, the first of all your lips start to crack and then your tongue starts to swell and turn black. Doesn't look very nice, does it? And then apparently if you still don't have any water, all your organs one by one, your internal organs start closing down. I don't know if there's a set order in it or whether it varies from person to person, but it doesn't sound a very pleasant way to be existing. I like watching those adventure programs, you like Bear Grylls and that, when they're out there, they're just set out in the middle of nowhere and they're told to go and find, you know, survive. First thing he always does is, where's the water? Can survive without shelter, although that's, that's high on the priority. Food, high on the priority list, but water is the key. And he always, always is there. He says, I've got to find water. I need to find a water source. Because he knows that water, you can't do without it. It is essential for life. We can get rid of virtually everything else. But water, we have to have it. We've been looking together at Jesus' words from the cross. And today's word is all about that. It's the fifth word from the cross. Now Jesus, on Maundy Thursday, the day before these words from the cross, he's had water plentiful. He was in that upstairs room, do you remember? He washed their hands, he washed their feet. They would have had water on tap, pretty much. They could have just drunk whatever they wanted till they were satisfied. But from that moment on, from Gethsemane on, when he left the upper room, he had nothing to drink all the way through. He was taken, he was arrested, he was sent before this person and that person, before the Jews, before the Romans. He was dragged out, he was beaten, he was bruised, he was stripped, he had the crown of thorns on his head, he was mocked. And then finally, he was led down the Via Dolorosa up to Golgotha where he was nailed to the cross. And in no time did he have an opportunity to drink. And so going through all that physical and spiritual and emotional pain, he's there. And the fifth word on the cross is all about water. I am thirsty, he says. But let's turn in our Bibles to John, John chapter 19. And let's look at these just two verses today. John 19 verse 28. Now this is the fifth word from the cross. We remember that before this, he's first looked at other people. 
Do you remember the first words he said? What was it? Do you remember? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Do you remember? He looks at humanity and he says, Father, forgive them. He sees the spiritual condition of the people around him. Father, they have no idea what they're doing. Forgive them. Forgive them. And then the second word on the cross is when he looks at the, the, uh, the robbers, the criminals next to him. And you remember he has that conversation with one of them? And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. The second word is about salvation. He says, today you're going to be with me. You know, you might have lived this life, but today everything has changed because of your attitudes, because of your willingness to accept who I am. The third word on the cross is for his mum, who's standing there, Mary and John. And he says, mother, behold your new son. Son, behold your new mother. And he links the two together and he talks about the family of God and about responsibility to each other. And then last week we looked at that fourth word, perhaps the deepest word in the whole of scripture, where he cries out and he says, my God, my God, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, why have you forgiven, why have you forsaken me? And we delved last week into that three hours of darkness and the silence that covers the whole earth, or at least where Jesus is, and the whole of Israel. And out of that he cries those words. And then we pick up the accounts in John chapter 19 verse 28. Let's pray before we read. Lord, as we read your word today and we come to this, your fifth word on the cross, we ask that you would speak to us. We recognise that we cannot get to the depths of your words. And that we are only, we can only go so far, but we ask that through your Spirit, you would open up your word to us today. Just one word you spoke. I'm thirsty. One word in the Greek. But as you, as we look at it together, as we think upon it together, speak to us. Lord, we are thirsty. As we've just sung, we're thirsty for you, Lord. So come and fill us with your water of life, from your word. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. John 19, 28, he said, later, this, so this is after all of this. So he's been hanging there for at least six hours on the cross. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Now the first thing we notice in this short passage is that Jesus uttered these words about himself, I'm thirsty. This is the first word that he's uttered that's anything to do with him. The other was, Father, forgive them, the criminal salvation, his mother, the spiritual battle that was going on. But this now he turns to himself, but he only does that after it's all completed. It says, later knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, 
He said, I'm thirsty. You know, that's the difference so often, I think, between God and us. We would say, you know what, I've got needs as well. I know, God, you want me to do X, Y and Z, but I have things as well. I've got my own issues, I've got my own agendas. Like, can't we kind of marry the two together? Yes, I know I'll do the things you want me to do, but then can't you meet me halfway, God, and do the things that I want to do as well? That's not like Jesus. Jesus only started looking at himself and his own physical needs once he had completed everything God wanted him to do. Once he knew that it was finished, that it was complete. And so he says in the Bible, after he had completed everything, his father always, always, always came first. Before anything else. And that's how it's supposed to be for you and for me. God first. His way first. His desires first. His plans first. Not mine, but His. I heard about uh, the British liberation of Palestine many years ago. It's in a book called, uh, by Major Gilbert called The Last Crusade. And he says this, they were the British army amongst well, the Allies, the British Australians, New Zealanders, were trying to drive out the Turks from uh, Palestine. And they were going after them. The Turks were in full retreat over the desert. And the problem was that the further they attacked and the further that the Turks withdrew, the more difficult it was for the camel train with all the water that it was carrying to keep up with it. And so a decision was made that they would press on towards this town called Sharia. Because they knew in this town they had cisterns full of water. The soldiers, it was written there, said this, the water bottles became empty. The sun blazed pitilessly out of the sky where the vultures wheeled round expectantly. They said the soldiers' heads started to ache and their eyes became bloodshot and dim in the blinding glare. Their tongues began to swell and their lips started to turn that purplish black and burst. They said those that couldn't keep up were just left behind and they were never seen again and the sand would cover them. And they just carried on pushing forward and pushing forward and pushing forward. And they got to the edge of this town, Sharia, where they knew that they had to take the town that day. And the Turks were inside. Because they knew if they didn't get in there to get to the water, then they would all perish outside. And so Major Gilbert says, they fought as men fighting for their lives. And they fought all day. And finally the Turks retreated out of, the, out of that town and the Allied soldiers were able to go in. And the first thing they saw were these great stone cisterns full of cold, clear drinking water. They said in the still night air the sound of water running into the tanks could be distinctly heard, maddening in its nearest. Yet not a man murmured when orders were given for the battalions to fall in too deep, facing the cisterns. 
Then they describe the stern priorities. First, you tend to the wounded. Then, those that needed to be on guard duty had to go on guard duty. And then, after those priorities had been taken care of, company by company, men were invited to come and drink. said it took another four hours before every person had had an opportunity to come and quench their thirst from that gallons and gallons of water in those cisterns. That's how we should be with God. But even though we see things and we think, I need that, I need that, I need that, if they're on our agenda and not God's agenda, we should be like those soldiers saying, you know what, I'm going to do what's right. I'm not just going to go and break and go and just jump into the systems and forget about orders and forget about everything else because it's important for me. We need to recognise that it's got to be God first and what God wants, not what I want. But these words when Jesus said, or this one word in the Greek, I'm thirsty, why is this so important? I mean, how many times have you just said in your life, I'm thirsty? Must be thousands of times. Oh, I'm thirsty, I'm going to go put the kettle on. I'm thirsty, I'm going to... We say it every day, probably. So why is this so significant to us? Isn't it just Jesus saying, I'm thirsty, anybody got a glass of water? That'd be very nice, thank you very much. It's far more than that. It's important firstly because it shows us that Jesus suffered and his suffering was very real. Jesus, it shows us how he identifies with us in our agonies and in our struggles. The very essence of life, water, it's what we're made up most of, isn't it? Had been denied Jesus, been taken away from him. The very thing that he wanted the most in that moment, in his humanness, he couldn't get it. He could just express the depth of what he needed. I'm thirsty. I need that very core of life. I need the the essence, the building block of life in my life right now. And that's important to us. Because the word before that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is very spiritual in its orientation. And we looked at that last week. But here this word is very physical. It's one of our core needs, our physical needs in life. And Jesus in saying it identifies with us in our needs, in our lives, in our suffering. In the things that we find difficult to overcome. Oswald Chambers put it this way, he says, Suffering is the heritage of the bad, of the penitent, and of the Son of God. Each one ends in the cross. The bad thief was crucified, the penitent thief is crucified, and the Son of God is crucified. By these signs we know the widespread heritage of suffering. Sometimes people think, if I become a a Christian, then I'm going to just... Suffering is a thing of the past. 
that everything I go through, God's going to just say, no, 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 I'm going to move that. All, your, all those struggles, all that suffering in your life is just going to be a thing of the past. Now, now it's just going to be a clear road ahead. But we know that's not true. It's not true because Jesus struggled and Jesus suffered. And his suffering led to his death and then his resurrection. And on the cross here, he shows the, out of his humanity the desperation of what struggling can really do. And that's important for you and for me because then we know we're not alone. When you go through struggles and when I go through struggles, when you go through the agonies of life and I go through the agonies of life, we know that we have a saviour who has been there too. That he understands. That it's not just a God that's sitting up on some throne somewhere or other saying, you know what, I kind of sympathise with you. Because we have a God that went down into humanity, down to the very depths and struggled alongside us, with us. In fact, went deeper than we will ever go. And say, so he can say, I know, I understand. Because I've been there. I know what it's like to thirst. I know what it's like to suffer pain and agony and anguish. I know what it's like to be stabbed in the back by your friends. I know what it's like to be rejected by all your mates who said that they would stand by you through thick and thin and then when the going gets tough they run away. I know what it's like to even feel as though God himself has left you and has left you there all alone. I know what that brokenness really feels like. And so we can say, Lord, you know what I feel like when I'm going through it. Because you've been there. Been there, not just spiritually, but physically been there. When you were thirsting in your humanness and just needed a glass of water. But I think also it means more than just the physical thirst. Because the people that would have been standing there around the cross, listening, would have automatically thought of other things in the pages of scripture in Jesus' life. Do you remember the first time when Jesus said he was thirsty? Do you remember where it was? John 4, in Samaria. Do you remember the woman at the well? Do you remember when he was going through Samaria and he met that woman at the well and he said, I'm thirsty, can you give me a drink? I want some water. And the woman said, no, no, I can't give you any water because you're a, you're a man, I'm a woman. Because you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, we, we don't associate with one another. And Jesus said, I can give you water that will never, never, you'll never be thirsty again. And she said, oh, give me some of that. That's the kind of water I want. The springs of eternal life welling up inside of you. 
And I'm sure when Jesus said, I'm thirsty, they would have thought back to that occasion. Where he's saying, I'm not just thirsty physically, but also there's a spiritual thirst within each one of us. And they would have thought back even further to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, when he says, come to me, all you who are thirsty, come and drink. Talking about, again, the spiritual thirst that is in with, within each one of us. And that we need that life-giving water that comes through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the water of life. I can be the one, I am the one who can, can give you that life-giving water that will never, never run dry. And he would have thought too about the psalm that we sang today, As the deer pants for the water, Psalm 42. So my soul longs after you. And they would have thought back to the Old Testament in the Psalms where it talks about the soul being thirsty for you, Lord, as we've sung today. And even further back to the book of Exodus, when the man who was there dipped the hyssop in the wine vinegar and put it up to Jesus' lips over and over again. Do you remember where hyssop's used in the Old Testament? It was used during the Passover on the doorposts. And there it's dipped in the blood of the sacrificial lamb and placed on the doorposts so that the angel of death will pass over and the firstborn won't be killed. And here we see the hyssop being dipped in the water and offered up offered up to the Lamb of God and given to him where that bloodstain crosses to offer salvation for every human being who believes for the salvation of our souls the one who can quench that thirst that we have inside each one of us you see each of us have it we try to hide from it, we try to run from it, we try to fill it with all sorts of other things, but each one of us has that thirst within us. Because God placed it there before we were even born. He's made us with this void inside that is thirsty. And so we see people racing around trying to cure that thirst. Some people do it with football. Have you noticed? And they feel fantastic for the week that their team wins. And the week where their team loses, they're the most miserable people on the face of the earth. Aren't they? Can't figure it out myself. But they are. How many Man United supporters are going through that thirsty period right now? And how many non-Man United supporters are really enjoying themselves? You know, they're miserable all week. Other people do it through a whole raft of other things, through alcohol, through drugs and sex, or family, or work, or whatever else it might be. They're thirsty. Because God has placed that vacuum within each of us that should be filled with Him, but that we choose to look everywhere else sometimes. And when He said, I'm thirsty, I'm sure the people there we said, you know what? I'm thirsty too. 
I'm thirsty. Like the centurion that said, this truly was the man of God. Because in those words he recognised his own thirst for God. And Jesus wants us to recognise that too. Just like the woman at the well, Jesus wants us to recognise our own thirst for him. And I think too that Jesus is saying that in those words, I'm thirsty. Somebody put it like this. They used to walk through a park and in that park there was this massive oak tree. But a vine had grown up along its trunk. And the vine started small, but, and when it was small it was hardly even noticed. But gradually it got taller and taller and it started creeping around. And after quite a few years, the whole lower half of the tree was covered with vine creepers. And the mass of tiny little feelers was so thick that it looked like it had kind of innumerable birds nesting in all this vine. And it was then they knew that the tree was in danger. This huge solid oak tree was being taken over by this little vine that was growing around the outside and the very life in the oak tree was being squeezed from it. But the gardeners had seen the danger. And they came along with a saw one day and they cut the base of that vine until it died. And it gradually over the weeks started to fall away as those creepers began to die. And what Jesus did on the cross for us was something of the same. Those, that vine is like the things in our lives that envelop us, that crawl around us, that try to suck the life out of us. And what Jesus does on the cross is he cuts and severs it so that it falls away and we're able to be strong and be the people he wants us to be. But I think what Jesus is saying here, where he says, I thirst is that he's also crying out to people to say, do you recognise your own thirst right now? He wants us to say, you know what Lord, I'm thirsty too, not just for water, but for your life-giving water. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's so frustrating when you understand something and the people you're talking to just don't get it. Have you ever been in that position? For you, it's just obvious. It's just so simple. And for other people, they just go, what? Huh? I, I don't know how people in the classroom do it. I don't know how teachers do it, you know? They stand there and it's like, you know, you do something really simple in a classroom. And there's all these students and you go, have you got it? And they go, yeah. And you give them a piece of homework and it comes back and it's all wrong. And you just think, why can't they get it? Why? Because for you it's just like, you know it, like that, it's just so easy. How it all fits together, it's just so simple, it makes perfect sense to you. But for someone else it's just like, oh. And I think here on the cross Jesus is saying the same thing. How it must hurt Jesus to have gone through everything that he's gone through on the cross. To be hanging there once it's all completed and still see the people around the base of the cross 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans and so on, still not get it. Still not understand what he's doing. And, and it must have really frustrated him to go, look, I've gone through all of this for you, but you still don't recognise it. I don't know why not everybody is a Christian. I can't figure it out, can you? I mean, I, I understand why people don't come to churches. That bit I can understand. Because sometimes some churches can't understand why they don't come to Trinity, but I can understand why they don't go to some other churches, right? Because sometimes churches, we don't do things very well, let's be honest. Sometimes you come into a church and you think, I'm going to immediately put on some rotor or other that I don't want to be on. I'm going to immediately be asked to do this and do that and do the other. And you just think, you know what, I can do without that. And that I can understand in some people's lives. But I can't understand why everybody is not following Jesus. Here he is, saying to everybody, I can give you the water of life. I can give you the thing that you really crave the most. That core inside of you that you go running around absolutely everywhere trying to fill, I can fill it for you. And it's free. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not asking you. You just need to believe me and receive it. That's it. It's a gift. Here I have it in my hands. Just receive it. Fill your life with it. Drink of it. Then you'll come follow me. Not because I'm telling you to, but because you'll want to. Because you'll be filled to overflowing. And I'll continually fill you. And you'll be satisfied. And your life will have meaning and purpose. And, and you will feel in the right relationship with everything. Everything will start to make sense. Because you'll be living where you should be living. In relationship with everything else around you. I can't understand why people wouldn't want that doesn't make any sense to me. And I wonder whether Jesus, when he's hanging on the cross there, saying, I'm thirsty. It's also saying, I don't understand why you're not thirsty too. I can see the thirst within you, but why aren't you coming to me and receiving what I want to give to you? So frustrating. Every parent knows how frustrating it is when you're children. You know what the answer is for all their problems because you've been there, done it and got the t-shirt in my case about 30 years ago and yet they don't, they, they don't come to you and even if they do, they don't take your wisdom because they think, oh no, they won't understand and it's so frustrating sometimes to see them going through the same issues and falling in the same way that you did and your parents did before you and their parents before you and their parents before you but you can't do anything about it. We live and learn, we say. And I wonder if part of what Jesus is saying there is, Lord, help them, God, Father, help them to recognise the thirst and to come to the waters of life that can fill it. And look at the response. You want to know how to serve Christ? This is so beautiful. Verse 29, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. 
And in the Greek it says that they lifted it continually. So he just drank and then they refilled it. And he drank a little bit more and they refilled it. I love that verse. Do you see the simplicity of service? They saw a need and they met it. That was it. They didn't get a subcommittee working on it, did they? They didn't say, well, perhaps we need to go and have a think about this. You know, do it. What do you think? We can't go around giving water to everybody. There's, there's thousands of people being crucified. They're all the time they're being crucified. We can't start doing this. And they didn't stand there and say, well, if I give him some water to drink, does that mean other people will look at me and think I'm siding with him? And what will that do? It's probably one of the Roman soldiers that did it. There was a need and they simply met it. We don't even know who it was either, which is even better, I think. It was just done quietly. And that's what Christian service is all about, isn't it? In Matthew 25, Jesus said, You do it for the least of these, you do it for me. If you see my brother or my sister in need, just help them as you're able to. If you see a bit of litter on the ground, just pick it up and put it in a bin. Don't make a fuss about it. You see a carpet that needs cleaning, just go clean it. You know what a vacuum is. If you see somebody that needs some help, just, just go and give them a help and just say, see you later, after you've done it. It's not a big deal. There's no big deal in, in getting a little bit of hyssop and putting a sponge on it and dipping it in a little bit of wine vinegar and giving it to Jesus, is there? Simple things make all the difference. And here someone would be able to tell the tale later in their lives that they were the one that was able to meet Jesus' need when he most required it. Disciples couldn't. In Gethsemane they all fell asleep, didn't they? They all ran away. Useless. But here on Golgotha there was somebody who was willing just to say, you know what, I see a need. Let me just do it. No fuss. No bother. Just helping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords deal with the excruciating pain of crucifixion. Are you thirsty today? Our world is thirsty. And if we're true, we are thirsty as well, aren't we? You can fill your life with whatever you want, but that thirst is still there because there's a hole in everybody's souls that can only be satisfied by Christ. And even then, even the best of us, it still needs more and more and more and more of the life-giving water flowing through us. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 2.13 He says, They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And that's true for so many of us. That we have Christ's living water flowing through us, but our cisterns are kind of broken as well. And we try also to fill it with other stuff that we put in. 
Jesus said, come to me and I will be able to give you that life-giving water. Are you thirsty today for him? Are you thirsty? Then come to him and let him soak you with his water. Because it's a continual stream. It's not just a one-time thing, it just continually soaks through you. So that you are filled and that you will never be thirsty again. John in Revelation says this, he says in Revelation 7, Never again will there be hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water. And then at the end of Revelation in 22.17, he says, Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes... Let him take the free gift of the water of life. Are you thirsty for him? Allow him to fill you. Cry out to him as we've been doing in song and in prayer. My soul is thirsty for you, Lord. I want more and more of your life-giving water. For I believe that is in part in what he was saying on the cross. Where he wanted us to recognize our own thirst. And to come to him who can satisfy us. Thing is about Jesus, you know, he's never going to pour it down your throat. What he will do is stand there and offer it. I saw a large poster once that had the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. And under it were these simple words. It's your move. Jesus is saying today, I can give you the water that can quench that thirst within you. But you know what? It's your move. Let's pray. Lord, you offer life-giving water to each one of us. Water that can fill us to overflowing so that we leak puddles of it everywhere. And that's what you want to, to happen to each one of us. And I pray for anyone here that doesn't know that for themselves, that has never received that water inside of them, that Lord, today you will fill them. That they would come to you as we've been singing, I'm thirsty for you, Lord. I'm thirsty. I feel dry like a desert. I need to be like an oasis, like that water. That coming to those cisterns of pure, fresh, cold drinking water. I want the water of your spirit to fill my soul, to fill my heart, my life. I want to know that I'm connected to you and I have that river of your spirit running through me. Lord, if, if there's anyone that's never experienced that, may they experience that today. Speak to them now. 
They just need to call out and say, I'm thirsty, Lord, fill me. Fill me today. And for those of us who have experienced it, may we continually experience that flowing of the water that you offer. Because we know in our lives, sometimes we go through dry spells. And Lord, that's not good. Fill us again today with your Spirit. Fill us with the water of life, that we may be overflowing with your Spirit in us. May we put you first, number one, in our lives. So that nothing else matters except following you. Because then everything else will fall into place. Everything else will be in its proper order, its proper condition. When we put you first. And fill us and refresh us again. From the water that flows at the foot of the cross. I thank you. I thank you for your humanity. As well as for your divinity. I thank you that you were open enough to say that you first and to receive from whoever it was that gave that simple gesture of meeting that need. May we go from this place today flowing out through the water of your spirit to meet the needs around us. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.